Bibles, turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 17. Those that prayed for the funeral today, it went very well and we're very pleased with that. See Mrs. Allman here tonight, it's good she's here. She wasn't sure if she'd be able to make it, but praise the Lord she did. She went home and took a nap, she said. Amen. Well, let's go ahead again and begin reading in chapter 1, verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good unto me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zecharias of the course of Ebi, 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 (laughs) and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They had no children, because that Elizabeth was barren. They both were now well stricken in years. It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without a time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord." shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. 
And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Of course, in this particular passage, we come face to face with one of the great Bible characters, John the Baptist. There he is in this particular passage being prophesied Concerning, concerning him being prophesied here, we see that he's going to come and ultimately has a job to accomplish. He has something to do. Again, John the Baptist uh, is the same one that Jesus spoke of and said, And I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. I mean, he was a mighty man of God. <clears throat> he was an unusual man of God. And, of course, he's a man of God that stands out in our minds, obviously, as we think about those, that wild honey and locust and we think about uh, the camel's hair that he wore. And so when we think of John the Baptist, we think of a, a pretty rough and ready character. And yet he was a man of God that the Lord used mightily. Jesus and John, according to the passage, were relatives, we know. Of course, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. And so therefore, John and, and uh, uh, Jesus were also uh, cousins as well. And uh, we found here in Luke one thirty six, the Bible says, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. So we know that they were related, and uh, John and Jesus were related. And John's mission is found in the text here. We see his mission, his purpose, if you will. The Bible tells us here in verse 17, it says, To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was what he was supposed to accomplish. That's what he's supposed to get done. And we know that for about 400 years there was silence. God had not spoken, uh, that there was just uh, in the book of Malachi, we read about that. And so for 400 years from the time, 400 B.C. to the time Christ arrives, there's no real open revelation. And now all of a sudden we've got this John the Baptist that's going to show up. And he's going to begin preparing people for the Lord, preparing them for his coming. And so in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, we read, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and, to the, uh, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Someone says, well, why, why is it, it uses the name Elijah here. Yeah, Elijah's going to come as well. But we also note that John was a fulfilling of prophecy and that we see here. He came in the spirit and the power of Elias. So we, we note here that John fulfilled the prophecy at that point. Now, will Elijah return one day? In Revelation chapter 11, we're find, we find that that is indeed the case. Moses and Elijah both we appear, will appear and will show up there. But at this point, remember, all the prophecy was fulfilled. Christ could have came back. He could have certainly established his kingdom, so forth, so on. And Elias, or should I say John the Baptist, was the person that was being used in the spirit of Elias. And so here he is now, fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi after 400 years of silence, after 400 years of not hearing from God. Now all of a sudden there's a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus Christ, preparing the way for the Messiah, readying a people to receive the Master. And so we have John the Baptist here in our text. Now John's mission, of course, was to prepare the people for Christ who would come. And being, that being his mission... I want to note a couple of things tonight. First of all, I want to note his message. I want to consider his method, and then I want to look, uh, and then I want to consider the master 
that he served, okay? So we're going to look at those three aspects, his message, his method, and his master. And so tonight, we want to take just a few minutes tonight and consider those things this evening. Father, we come to you. Lord, tonight we gather here a needy people. And Father, we are grateful, Father, for just the example that we have of John the Baptist and Lord, just the uh, effort that he put forth. And Lord, how you used him in such a way to prepare hearts and ready minds. Lord, tonight we are a people who are trying to prepare folks for the coming of Jesus Christ as well. May we, Father, listen intently. May we, Father, truly allow you to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit of God, there's not a person in this room that doesn't need to hear from you. And Father, I know, Father, in my own life, there's no way in the world I can accomplish what you've called me to do without your filling. And Father, I pray you'd fill me, you'd fill every listening ear here, that Father, every one of us, Father, would receive and, re- and get what we need tonight to help us and enable us, Father, to take another day, uh, in, uh, another step in this Christian life and ultimately live another day in it. Now, Father, we need you tonight. We thank you for everything you've permitted us to be involved in, to, to Father, just accomplish over these last few days. We just ask, dear God, that once again you'd prepare us for the rest of this week, even tonight. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> First of all, John's message now. We're talking about John, the John the Baptist. I mean, a pretty popular figure in our circles. Uh, he's the Baptist. Amen? That's good stuff. And by the way, you shouldn't be embarrassed to be a Baptist. <clears throat> it's, it's just the way it is. Um, you know, I could give you stories about folks that don't like Baptists. You know? They don't like us. And you say, why don't they like us? Well, they, they, they associate us with what we believe. They associate us with being a little bit strict. Associate us with having some standards. Associate us with uh, living wholly separated lives from the world. They, they consider us a little bit freakish, a little bit weird maybe, a little bit different, a little unusual, at least if we live the way the Bible says to. And so sometimes folks just don't understand what we're all about. That's all. It's not that they're really that bad of, of people. They just don't get it. They just don't know what the Bible teaches. They just don't understand what God says about us. And so, as Christian people, we ought to be Baptist. Someone says, that's not a very good attitude. Well, I'm a Baptist, ain't I? I, I, I'm kind of like, I'm married to my wife. I think she's the best wife in the world. And if I start thinking your wife's better than my wife, you've got a problem, and so do I. And listen, if I'm a Baptist, then I ought to think everybody ought to be a Baptist. I'm excited about being a Baptist. I like being Baptist. And John the Baptist was a Baptist. And he's John the Baptist. And guess who Jesus was baptized by? A Baptist. That makes Jesus a Baptist. Amen? You get baptized in the Baptist church, what are you? You're Baptist. Then you get baptized in the Methodist church, you're Methodist. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He must have been a Baptist then. All right? All right, now we're going, right, Brother D? We got it going there, amen? But we're talking about John the Baptist. And so let's consider him just a little bit. Let's consider his message tonight. His message. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. John chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And it was, is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In this particular passage, we see his message being delivered here. His message was simple, wasn't it? It was repent, repent. Does anybody know what repent means? I'm not so sure that we really do understand repentance a whole lot these days because we don't talk much about it, do we? You know, we like to talk about believing in the Lord, but we don't want to talk much about repentance in our Christian lives. 
By the way, the Christian ought to be a repentant person. Turning from our ways. We've got to be willing to do some 180 degree turns in our life. Oh, we like to talk about that repentance unto salvation because from a biblical standpoint, that's a change of mind and attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That's no longer depending on my works, my effort, my own ability, but instead depending solely, completely trusting in Christ Jesus. But hold on a second. The fact is that repentance belongs in the believer's life in their daily walk. And there's things that we need to turn from. There are things that we need to, to walk away from. There's things we need to turn our back on and begin anew and afresh. His message was a simple message. It was one of repentance. It was one of turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of reading our minds and our life and our bodies, preparing ourselves to meet Him face to face. His message was simple. It was repentance. His message was scriptural. Notice it says here in verse 4 of our, that we just read, it says, As it is written. By the way, you know, it's interesting that many times if we're not careful, even in our own lives, we like to share philosophy. We like to share our own ideology. We like to give our opinions. We like to give our advice. And yet it is not scripturally based. It is not as it is written. It is as it was experienced. As it was learned growing up. As it was uh, uh, perceived or understood from my own intellect or being. And I say to you, nobody needs what you think today. What they need is what God says. And you know, as believers, we've got to get out of this habit of doing what the world does. The world's quick to write a self-help book and tell us how to fix our problems. And they'll use their philosophies, as we said, their ideologies, their wisdom, their, their understanding. But the fact is, is that people need the Lord and they need His Word and they need His truth. See, thy word is truth, the Bible says. Not my word, not your word, but his word is truth. And unless my word matches his word, then there is no truth coming out of my mouth. And that is a reality. And so John the Baptist, he went forth. And man, I mean to tell you, his message was a simple message. His message was a scriptural message, as it is written. His message not only was simple and scriptural, but it was sincere. God help us to get a passion for what we believe today. Amen. You know what? We live in such a lackadaisical, apathetical type culture and society. We're not allowed to be competitive anymore. We're not allowed to get bent out of shape about anything. We're not allowed to get mad about anything. Everybody's got to be even kill. Nobody can get upset. And I'll tell you something. God made us with emotion. God made us to have some passion in our life. And my God help you if you can't take somebody getting in your case every once in a while. If you can't take it when somebody gets all a little upset. Oh my, I'm going to fall apart. Oh, they're not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be Christians here. Hey, there's going to be a youth rally coming up on Saturday. Let me tell you something. Somebody might just get a little bit peeved at you because they're under a lot of pressure. And they come running up like Brother Larry's out there taking care of all that junk out there and that, that all those, what, extreme games or whatever it's called. And all of a sudden he sees lightning crashing. And you come around, oh, are we going to quit? Are we going to pack up? Are we going to leave? No, just go, back to your, just go back to your area. Just stay in your area. I'll let you know what's going on. But, but the kids, what about the poor little kids? They might get electrocuted. Just go back to your area. And you go, well, excuse me. <laughs> now, I appreciate your passion. But God, help us to accept some, some things, to receive some things, to deal with some issues. Man, it's okay. I like when a young man says, I want to win. I hate losing. I like that. 
a little passion, a little bit of intensity. Man, I'm going to tell you something. i got to believe when, when John the Baptist preached, he wasn't just, let's all talk to one another. I have a message for you, and his name is Jesus. He's coming back. Uh-uh, man. Repent! 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 So he says, I don't like all that yelling. That was called passion and intensity. Man, I'm going to tell you, I bet you John the Baptist was a wild man. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus said so. <laughs> this guy who's crying, he's one crying in the wilderness. He had passion. I've got to believe he had tears. And I've got to believe that he had some, some, some serious, uh, like I say, uh, urgent sense of urgency. I mean, he's coming back. You better be ready for him. He's coming soon. And I'll tell you what, we don't have enough passion when it comes to people. You know, really, let's face it. I mean, let's be honest. Every one of us have watched people die that we know we need to talk to about Jesus. You know, do we really believe they're going to hell? I mean, do we really believe that? I think it's easy to say we do. But I think our actions prove how we really feel and believe. I think we're not nearly as passionate, not nearly as intense, not nearly as, in, as, as uh, 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 urgent about this matter as we ought to be. But they'd think I was crazy. Well, you'd fit in good with John the Baptist. You'd fit in good with Paul the Apostle. You'd fit in good with Jesus Christ. Who do we really want to fit in with? Isn't that really our problem? We want to fit in instead of stand out for Jesus. And I'm not saying we ought to be nutcases. But man, I'm going to tell you something. When we share the gospel with people that are in need, that's the ministry. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Let's be busy about the work of Christ. You don't have to yell at people. You don't have to scream at people. But we do need to open up the word of God. We need to be, have a sense of urgency, intensity, and be passionate about what we believe. <clears throat> Man, I'll tell you what, John the Baptist, he had a message, and it was a simple message. It was a scriptural message. It was a sincere message. It was very sincere. But also, we know John's method. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 3. I want to read uh, beginning in verse 7. <clears throat> Here goes John now. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of Vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. I think he already failed in political correctness. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. Begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? He said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. The soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? He said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, 
Be content with your wages. Be content with your wages. Wow. Moving on. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the weed into his garner. But the chafe he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his, exer- uh, in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. John's method. What was John's method? Pretty simple. He preached. He preached. And the Bible says he preached right there. He pre- it says, and many other things in his exhortation, preached he unto the people. He preached. And I, I like that. In verse 7, the Bible tells us that, that he goes on to say, Oh, generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Wow. Wow, that, that's a message right there, huh? Now listen, i got to believe there was a lot of religious people in that crowd. I mean, there's some religious people in that crowd. And he's trying to break through all that religiosity. He's trying to help them understand it's not going to be your works. It's not going to be your deeds. It's not going to be your father Abraham or your past or your upbringing. It's not going to be your, your pedigree. It's going to be Jesus Christ, the person, the man, the God who comes. The God-man. He preached. Boy, we need preaching today, don't we? I mean... Today, we live in a culture and a society, again, where we're afraid. We don't want to raise our voices too loud because everybody's been abused. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been scorned. I mean, I mean, we've got a, I don't know what the circumstances are or the situation is, but uh, we have a coach recently that just got let go because he verbally abused a child on the football team, a high school football coach. I don't know what that means. What does verbal abuse even mean today? I, I have no clue. You say, well, he shouldn't have done it. I don't even know what he did, okay, so I'm not even judging. I'm just asking, what is verbal abuse? Man, some people think verbal abuse is when someone raises their voice and talks to them. That's as simple as it is. And other people say, well, it's when they use a cuss word in it. And other people are like, it's when they scream at you and call you names. Well, I'm just saying, I do not know what the definition anymore of verbal abuse is. I really don't know. What I can tell you is that some people thought John was verbally abusing some people, I'm sure. I'm sure there were some liberals around the, in that day that said, my goodness, if you were really a man of God, you would have never called them a generation of vipers. You'd have never been so bold and so brash. And yet he did. I'm not saying that we need to be so crude and rude and we need to go around offending people on purpose. That's not the issue at all. But we ought to be preaching the word of God. What are we proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ without apology? Instead, we go around and someone says, well, you shouldn't feel that way about a certain type of people today that claim to be a little bit different. Let me tell you something. The Bible calls it something. That's what it needs to be called. And we're not just, we're not alcoholics. We are drunkards today in our culture and our society. We choose to create that disease and to drink that disease. This is not a disease. It is a choice. 
Let me tell you something. If you've got a problem with alcohol, you, a, you are a drunkard according to the Word of God. You need delivered by the power of God. You don't just need a 12-step program. You need a Jesus who can save you, forgive you, and change your life. And that's true with drugs or alcohol or pornography or immorality. That's true with homosexuality. doesn't matter what it is. God can change lives. And once we begin to believe that and understand that as Christians... Maybe we would have some a little bit more boldness about the truth of the Word of God, too. <clears throat> I don't believe that many people even think we can make good Baptists anymore. I really don't. I think we go out soul winning and somebody, somebody gets saved, we think, well, that's about as far as it'll go. There's no way in the world they're going to give up, you know, their immorality. There's no way they're going to give up their cussing. There's no way they're going to give up their alcohol. There's no way they're going to give up living together. There's no way they're going to do all that stuff and become separated Baptists. Well, I thought Christianity was separated. So when it become a Baptist thing, really? Oh, we were identified with that because that's what Christians are supposed to do. But may I say that every believer ought to be separated. You know what? No believer ought to be living together with some woman before they're married. No Christian ought to be doing that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And you don't let it in your homes, by the way. You don't promote it. You don't allow it. You don't endorse it by letting it in your homes. We don't do those things as believers. We shouldn't, at least. That's not how it works. Drugs and alcohol don't belong in the house of of a believer. It's not the way it ought to be. You ought to be man and woman enough to believe what God said and do what God says. Someone says, well, I don't agree with you. You don't have to agree with me. You've got a problem with God, my friend. And you're a drunkard today. You better get it dealt with. I don't care if you're saved or lost. You better deal with it. And drugs don't belong there either. And all this other junk that goes along with it. Some of the stuff we watch, some of the things we listen to. And the, John the Baptist, I mean to tell you, this guy, he preached, man. You know why most of us cannot share our faith with others? Because we're not separate enough to even go to them for fear that they'll say, you're just like me. What makes you any better? <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that's necessarily you. You're here on Wednesday night. You're the cream of the crop. You're probably the, the best of the best. You're, you're the choir, so to speak, preaching to the choir. But the truth is we need to be reminded of these things from time to time. <clears throat> he preached. He pulled no punches. He pulled no punches. Oh, generation of vipers. Wow, that's pretty rough. Pulled no punches. He painted pictures. Over in the book of Luke, again, chapter 3, verse 9, in our passage, it says, Now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. He's painting a picture. You know what? We need to use word pictures. When we preach the gospel, when we share the message, one of the methods he used was the same that Jesus used. He shared pictures. You know, just the other day, we used a picture frame up here on Sunday morning. And people went, oh, wow, that, I, I really appreciate that. That helped me to understand it. That was simple. Well, it was a picture. Not literally, of course, it was a picture. But, but you know, it, was a, it helped us in our minds. Listen, if you're talking to people, use pictures. I mean, use illustrations. Let them, let them open up a window to them by doing that. And that's what John the Baptist did. That's what Jesus himself did with the parables. You know, things they used practical, everyday things to try to help, understand, help people understand the spiritual. That's exactly what took place over in the book of John chapter 3 when he said, Marvel not that I send it to you, you must be born again. He used a physical thing and said, here's a picture. I want you to understand, you're being birthed physically, you need to be birthed spiritually. Again, a very practical, very powerful means by which to help people understand the truth of the gospel, the word of God. So we need to do that. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you need to use Word pictures. You need to paint pictures with your words. You need to share visuals. You need to do those things. 
Adults, children, it doesn't matter. You ought to do that. If you're not doing that, you're wasting their time usually. People can only endure so much verbiage. They need to see pictures in their mind. It's like a book. I don't know if you, you're like me, but I love books with pictures. I love them because it somehow, I don't know, it just makes it a little more interesting to me. And I don't know about you, but the one of the things that I think to myself is, if I had to lose one of my senses, I don't think I'd want to lose my eyes. I, I, man, to lose my eyes. My ears, I couldn't hear something. But more to not be able to see anything. I'd be rough. I, I mean, I'm not saying any of them would be good. Don't misunderstand me. I really don't want to lose my taste. I love to eat too much. But, but the fact is, is that, is that we got, man, to lose your eyesight? Not be able to see nothing? And Jesus understood how powerful the sight was and the mind is. And boy, I tell you what, they use word pictures and they use illustrations. And that's what John the Baptist did. He painted pictures. He paved a very clear path. In, in uh, chapter 3, verse 11 again, he answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. Very clearly, here's what you need to do. This is how it ought to work. In verse 13, he did the same thing. He goes on and he says, And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. Talking about the publicans. He said, don't, don't take any more than what is rightfully yours. And they were tax collectors for the Roman government, basically, is what they were. And he said, don't you take a little off the top. You take exactly what you're permitted to take, what by law is right, what is, is, is ethically right. Not just what you think is right or what you know you can get away with. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, And the soldiers likewise demanded him, saying, What shall we do? He said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither cause any fa- uh, accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Hey, man, those are tough. That's a tough, bill to, a tough pill to swallow for a soldier here. They didn't make anything in those days. I mean, they were taken advantage of. As a matter of fact, they were required to do certain things that were wrong. They were a very corrupt group in many cases. And, and listen, he was very direct. He was very, very clear in the path that they were to travel. Now listen, when we deal with people that are sinners or we deal with others that are wayward, we need to be very clear in what path they ought to travel. When we're dealing with other believers in our life, family, friends, and others, we need to be very clear the steps they ought to take. And when it comes to being right with God, wrong with God, getting right back with God, whatever it might be, we need to be very clear on those things. Whether it's our children and dealing with them specifically and saying, these are the rules, this is the consequence if you misbehave or fail to follow the rule, everything, clear path, clear path, clear path. And that was the way John the Baptist was, very clear. Here's what you need to do, publican. Here's what you need to do, soldier. Here's what you need to do, sinner. And that's how we need to be with the sinners. That's how we need to be with people, very clear, very clear. No misunderstanding what needs to be done, what has to take place, how they're to live, what they're to do, where they're to go, who they're to be with. That's important. And most of the time we're so vague. You want to know why? Because we're afraid we'll scare them off. If we really tell them what they need to do, if we tell them that they have to get rid of their alcohol, we tell them they need to get rid of their bad TV, we tell them they shouldn't be listening to rock music, we tell them they shouldn't be listening to country music, We start selling them things in the Word of God that say, this is a separation from the world. This is how we ought to live. This is how we ought to act. This is what we ought to do. Then all of a sudden we go to ourselves, man, they'll think we're judging them and they'll just run for the hills. Well, wait, get the Bible out and show them some passages and say, this is what we ought to listen to. This is what we shouldn't. This is what we should do. This is what we shouldn't. Be very specific. Be very clear in the path there to travel. People truly want to know the truth. Most people want to know what they're supposed to do. They want to know where they're supposed to go, who they're supposed to be with, how they're supposed to live. Oh, yes, some don't, but a lot of people do. A lot of people do. 
He pointed them to Christ. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. He pointed them to Christ. John answering, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchets of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's referring to Jesus Christ again, and we know that later he makes it very clear that he's elevating Christ, elevating Christ. He's pointing them to Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what he did. I mean, his method was to always lift up Christ, to always elevate Christ, to always put him in the forefront, to always make him preeminent. He preached, he pulled no punches, he painted pictures, he paved the clear path, he pointed them to Christ. That was his method. And finally, John's master. And we kind of touched on that already, so it won't take but a moment. But Christ was John's master. Jesus was. His family member. Can you imagine growing up with John? John's six months older than him. I don't know about you, but when you're kids, six months is a long time. I can imagine that John, every once in a while, if they got together at any point in their life, maybe for a trip to Jerusalem, whatever, you know, Jesus would say, hey, John, let's go out and, and, and you know, find, and you go fishing or something. John say, hey, listen, I don't want to go fishing. Let's go over here and climb this tree. Jesus said, come on, let's go fishing, John. Let's go fishing. John said, and John said, no, man, we're going to go climb a tree. Hey, listen, I'm older than you. You do what I tell you. I'm the boss. So he says, I can't imagine that. You don't think Jesus was a normal kid? You think Jesus ever climbed a tree in his life? You think Jesus ever wanted to skip rocks? I do. I don't think Jesus sat in front of a, in front of a parchment for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He was a kid. I don't understand it all, but I know he was. We don't read about him until later in about 12 years of age when he finally does go to, to Jerusalem. He's making a trip, so he obviously wasn't reading parchments 24 hours a day. But either way, he's, he's a kid. He's working with his dad in the shop. And he's, he's involved in the, uh, the, the community. He's doing things. And I can just imagine that John was, you know, growing up, you know, hey, I'm older than you. You do what I tell you. I've got to believe maybe it happened. I don't know that John was all aware. Oh, you're, you're the Messiah. That's right. I, we're five. And I'm five and a half and you're five. Well, you're the Messiah, though. Tell me what you want me to do. I don't think that's how it went. I, I really don't. I don't think he was thinking that at the time. <clears throat> but then there came a point as they got a little older. They got a little older and things started happening. Pretty soon, it's pretty clear, there's something unique about this guy. Something very special. How's come I keep getting whoopings, but you never get one, Jesus? You know, what, what's going on with that? Are your parents that soft or are you that good? But either way, I mean, he's just saying, Maybe what's going on here, you know? And, and then finally, finally he realizes, you know, obviously, uh, he, he's made very aware that that Jesus Christ is the one. I, I mean, wonder that that dove descends on Christ. I mean, here he comes. Here's Jesus. Well, take it away, the sin of the world. And the Lord told him that. Mary didn't tell him that. Joseph didn't tell him that. God told him that. God said, wait a second. You know that? You know Jesus, the one you made climb that tree that day? When he wanted to go fishing? He's actually God. He created you. You realize you told him what to do? Sorry. And I don't know that that really happened. <laughs> but it's kind of neat to think about, isn't it? But what I do know is that John's master was none other than his cousin, Jesus Christ, who was also his creator, God. He elevated Christ. The Bible says in John 3.30, <clears throat> He must increase, but I must decrease, John said. He must increase. I must decrease. 
God, help us to decrease. To decrease. You know, often we think that the best that God has to offer us is found on the top shelf. That's a lie right out of hell. It's not how high you go that makes you spiritual. It's how low you go. You humble yourself. You become a servant to all. To all. To all. See, it's one thing when I walk by and I go, ah, a piece of paper on the ground. Well, somebody pick that up. Well, I got to always pick up the stupid paper around here. I pick it up and see I'm a servant. Nobody else is around here. Stinking, lazy, good for nothing people. Am I really a servant? That's when I come behind you and I see that you leave things laying around and I pick them up and go, well, somebody's got to do it. Okay. I guess it's me today. There's a big difference there. You know, most of the time we are like the first example. And then we think we're such good servants. But really, we're all the way up there. And somehow we think we're so spiritual. We got a position. We got a place in the church and the ministry, boy. We're somebody. We're really nobody then. Because the big people in God's economy are the ones closest to the floor. The lowest. The littlest. The ones decreased. Not increased. He must increase, but I must decrease. John elevated Christ, and he elevated Christ. He put him on a pedestal. Not only that, he exalted Christ. Matthew 13, 13, uh, 3, 13 and 14 again. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. The Lord had made it very clear who Jesus was to John by now. But John forbade him. I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Jesus, are you kidding me? You want me to baptize you? Notice John wasn't honored. He was humbled. You, You notice that? Big difference. He wasn't honored. John didn't go, well, okay, sure, Jesus. I mean, uh, well, really, you should, be, <laughs> you should be baptizing me, but, oh, yeah, okay. Awesome. I'm baptizing Jesus. That's not how John was. John wasn't in the least bit honored in that sense. John was humbled. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. Whoa, no, I, I don't, no, I don't feel worthy to do this. I, I need baptized to you, you know. I, you, no. You're baptizing me, John. To fulfill all righteousness, we've got to do this. Whew, wow. Yes, sir. Isn't that something? See, he exalted Christ. <clears throat> Christ wasn't his buddy. Christ wasn't his friend in the sense that, hey, we're... Christ wasn't just his cousin here anymore. He knew who Christ was. Listen, there was something different about this man. They weren't the same anymore. There's a big difference. You know what? I think we get a little too familiar with the Lord sometimes. 
Now listen, I understand. Somebody say, well, he's my brother. He's my friend. I understand all that. And, and in the context of the passages where those things lie, there's reasons why he expresses it that way. But hold on. Don't you forget who he is. Amen. Don't, let's not forget who the Lord is. And, you know, we, we, we go to God sometimes and we treat him like he's like us. Well, just talk to him like anybody else. Well, okay, but... And, and that's true in one sense, that we ought to feel free to talk to our Lord... But don't you talk to him like you talk to your wife when you're upset with her. You, you better be careful how you talk to him. He's not your wife. He's not just your husband. He's not just one of your kids. He's God. Amen. And be careful how we talk to him a little bit. Sometimes we take liberties sometimes with the Lord, I think, and it ought to grieve our soul and our hearts. We go back and say, Lord, you know, the way I spoke to you the other day was... A little presumptuous, wasn't it? Truth is, Lord, I want your will, not mine. John, he exalted Christ. He elevated Christ. And you know what? He proved that Jesus was his master by doing those things. We see John's message. We see John's method. And we see John's master. Just something to think about. Now, we close this out. And here's the thought again. What was John's job? What was his purpose? It was to ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's to make people ready for the coming of Christ. Well, guess who's coming back? Jesus Christ is. God help us as a people to have a message like John's that's simple, scriptural, and sincere. May God help us to use the kind of methods in helping people see that the one who is coming soon is indeed going to arrive in the near future by preaching the truth, pulling no punches, painting pictures, paving a clear path, and pointing them to the one who's coming, Jesus Christ. And finally, may we, as a people preparing others for Christ's coming, may we treat Christ like the master that he is and elevate him and exalt him, for he is so worthy of our praise. Father, we come to you.